It's Cardboard Time, episode number 46, and I'm your host, Arwen Kathke. On this episode, we'll be talking with Jamie about some of the games that we played lately and have an interview with Rob Huber about the upcoming Bigfoot Roll and Smash board game from XYZ Games. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Well, I, I'm, I'm very busy. I, I like to... I've been saving this joke up, so I'm going to finally use it. I, I'm busier than a mosquito in a, in a nudist colony. Wow. That, that, so, got, uh, that got wild pretty quick. I'll say. I like to set the bar early, you know? I guess so. We're going to get <laughs> a little raunchy today, apparently. Okay, I wasn't expecting this, but that's fine. <laughs> I like to, you know, just got to ratchet it up from the moment you yeah. start, you know? Sometimes Set the you expectation. Do. Exactly. Okay. Well, now that the listeners know what they're in for, I did have a couple of announcements that I wanted to make. Please do head over to colorblindgames.com, our good friend Brian Chandler's website. I did a modification of my copy of Origins First Builders for the website, uh, basically kind of updating some of the components a little bit, adding some double coding. So I'd really like people to kind of check that out just to see when we talk about these concepts, maybe you can actually put a visual to it and see what we're talking about when we talk about double coding, when we talk about making things a little bit friendlier for those who have color vision issues. And I was pretty proud of it. I, you know, I, I, I do have kind of a, a little bit of an issue when it comes to marking up components and this thing that I bought, um, you know, now I've got to mark this thing up and I, I've kind of gotten over that a little bit with this. That's gotta be a little nerve wracking. Like it, it feels was. so verboten to be like, Oh no, I'm going to, I'm, it, that would be like coloring in a library book. <laughs> yeah. It, it felt wrong. And I've played legacy games before, so I thought that I'd be a little bit more over it than I was. And that first, like, taking the marker and coloring in those pips on the dice was just like, oh, this feels wrong. I don't like this. But then it kind of felt good after a little bit. Yeah, I, I did see the uh, the mark that you made on the on the particular component you're referring to, and I thought, you know, you could have gone really simple with it, but I like the creative uh, the creative take you had with it. Yeah, I I thought it was, you know, kind of simplifying it, but still, you know, kind of keeping the intent of the art of the game itself, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do have to send out some personal apologies uh, to our friends Ellie and Melora. Uh, at this past weekend, they were at our PFLAG picnic, and they said, you called us medium weight gamers. And they informed me that they're regular players of Twilight Imperium and some pretty heavy games. So I kind of misjudged. Uh, I was I was definitely wrong about that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not too big of a woman to admit, you know, why I'm, why I'm wrong. So please adjust your expectations about the difficulty level of Deal with the Devil accordingly. Um, they were heavyweight gamers, so... You know, it, it might be a little bit harder for more of those medium weight gamers, which is kind of me. We could just double down and be like, well, I guess it might be hard if you're not a real gamer. If you're not one of those real gamers, you can't real. I up. thought you were a real gamer. No, and, and there is no... If you play a board game, you're a gamer. So that's that's where we're drawing the line with that. We're not going to gatekeep in this community because that's wrong. So we're not. It would be a little that. ironic if we were the ones who turned around and gatekept. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> that just feels wrong. That I think just a lot of people. So, a lot of so people wrong. might say it's a comeuppance thing, but you know, it's just. I can't. I can't. I can't sit here and 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 <laughs> espouse the concept of of equanimity without without nope. choosing to to forego my my ability to gatekeep going forward. Exactly. Yeah. It it's. It's something that we're not going to do. We're not going to gatekeep. We want people in this hobby of all types that are going to be friendly. That are going to be friendly. You know, <laughs> we, we want good people in this hobby. So, 
if if it's not if it's not completely abundantly clear, I am so joking. <laughs> I just don't Same. want any. I don't want any evidence of me online somewhere. Like, like oh my God, <laughs> we're we're digging ourselves too deep with this, Jamie. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely. Let's pretend it never happened. Exactly. There's going to be no audio evidence of us saying this ever. I could edit it out, but I'm lazy. Anyways, that's a vibe. Uh, <laughs> so, on to what would normally be the beer of the day segment. However, uh, I posted a little poll earlier just to kind of see what the vibe was as far as were people enjoying the segment because it is a little bit different than the standard content that we usually provide. And I got some very interesting results. Uh, 18.8% of you said, yes, you would like to see this continue. 18.8% said, no, you don't want it to be a thing. And 62.5% basically said, either way, it's fine. And I think with those results, I I look at that and I say, you know, 18.8%, yes means that I should probably leave it out unless it's something that I'm really excited to talk about. So going forward, it's not necessarily going to be a standard thing unless it's something that, you know, maybe has a board game tie-in or something that I'm just super excited to talk about. You know, we can always have those conversations on Twitter or outside of this. I can always post and say, oh, I'm having this and I really liked it. So I I think that we may be phasing that out, Um, but you can always voice your protest uh, to our social media channels. So there. I think that's sound reasoning. Um, And I definitely want to, I want to direct anyone who has any gripes directly to, uh, to Arwen on Twitter. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) At cardboard underscore time. Um, (laughs) That's the thing. Like I, I don't want to do a segment that people aren't going to enjoy. And that, to me is is kind of evidence that yeah maybe we can do away with this for now so if there's instead mass- what what we're gonna do is black licorice of the week in which i tell you uh all about my affinity for black licorice that everybody makes fun of me for how's that sound to everybody and is that is that good is that satiate your hunger for better signal. If, <laughs> if I clear 18.8% approval, uh, I demand I demand my black licorice spot on the <laughs> podcast. Okay, we may need to put a poll up later uh, <laughs> about this. We will we will see. So it's time to check the shelf of shame. I'm going to do a quick rundown because this is kind of extensive. I did promise you an update on the last episode. Uh, and it is kind of extensive, so I'm going to try to work as fast as I can through this. Uh, the Shelf of Shame is at 165. That is up by six. So how that breaks down, I got 14 new games, those being Oniram, Clank Legacy, Cat in the Box, Canopy, Cryptic Cafe, Merchants of the Dark Road, the Avalon Big Box, Make It Happen, Little Flower Shop, Ready, Set, Bet, Wormholes, That Old Wallpaper, Follow the Mountain King, The Spill, and Don't Llama, The Dice Game. Um, so those are my new acquisitions I brought in. Onimarim is a game that I had already played uh, quite extensively. Uh, I have quite a few plays of it. I just never brought it into my collection. I did get that during the math trade. Uh, The rest were either review copies I did pick up at Gen Con or very specific purchases I did want to make. So as far as the purchase side goes, I was actually kind of light at Gen Con. And I think a lot of that had to deal with the fact that I was a little bit heavier at Origins uh, in picking up some of that stuff there. You you know, I walked out with very few as well. Not that there wasn't an insane amount of things that like were were desirable but i think part of it was that we were just so darn busy i think that was definitely part of it i had my eyes set on certain things and there were a couple that i didn't necessarily get while i was there so that's that's kind of a thing too like leaving a few to pick up at um you know my friendly local game store 
and and just to save till later. I mean, that's 14 new games that I have to go through. And I think they're going to be easier than some of the ones I actually got rid of uh, without playing, which I do want to talk about here in a minute. Uh, but at some point, you have to sit down and say, am I going to get through all this content right away? Or can I wait a few months? Like Twilight Inscription, it'll be out in a couple of months, and then I'll be able to pick it up, you know, wherever. So I'm not too terribly worried about that. I did get rid of five games without actually playing them, which I'm very proud of myself for doing. I, Owen, I took a I look. Have, at, I have a quick question. Yeah. In post, could you add the um, <clears throat> the the Sarah McLaughlin song in the arms of an angel here? Like, <laughs> God. millions of board games are abandoned every single day, including by me. <laughs> Won't you help with sixty five cents so I can put more of them into the wild? <laughs> it's only sixty five cents a day. That's your cup of coffee. That's right. Except I have two, and that means it's dollar twenty. So that's even better of an argument, I guess. I don't oh, know. No. <laughs> You've abandoned so, so I, many. <laughs> I did release five games without playing them, and I, I took a look at these games, and my rationale behind it was basically, I wasn't excited to play these. Like I, I looked at the first one on the list, and it was Twilight Imperium One. And I said, I have Twilight Imperium 1, I have Twilight Imperium 3, which I'm still trying to get rid of, and I have Twilight Imperium 4, which at some point I'm like, I can't play Twilight Imperium 4, so why would I need 1 and 3 at the same time? It, it's not that I don't want to play that game eventually at some point just to see what the differences are, but do I need it in my collection? No. You could just ask me. I could tell you what the differences are. You probably could. The numbers on the box. Oh, is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why okay. they do that for you. They, um, you know. Oh, that's nice of them. Yeah, I thought so, too. That's really nice of them. <laughs> the, the, other, uh, the other games I did get rid of were the uh, DC deck builder Joker versus Batman, Pirate King, Terror in Meeple City, and Harvest. So those are all games I wasn't super excited to kind of get to the table. There were more in my cell pile. I just couldn't get rid of them. Um, so I'm sure that there's going to be more opportunities like PAX Unplugged. Um, you know, certain friendly local game stores have events every once in a while where you can sell stuff, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, eventually there will be more that leave my collection like that because it felt very, very good to kind of purge that from my collection. It was like extra weight that I didn't really need. Um, and now that I'm, I'm kind of going in and, and refining my tastes and refining, you know, what I look for in board games, I think it is good to kind of have that examination every once in a while and maybe find new homes for these things. I do have to agree, you know, in the <clears throat> in the collecting process, I've definitely found some that I'm like, I, I just don't think I'm ever going to play this. Like, it has nothing to do with the with the perceived quality of the game or anything like that. It's it, it's never even about like, I mean, it could be an objectively popular game, but like mm -hmm. there's just so much to do and try <laughs> and enjoy that. It's like, I, I, I don't know that I can commit, you know, like it's. It doesn't all have to be played. At some point, you have to realize that it's impossible to play every single game that's out there. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's growth. And you, yeah, that's growth. That's <laughs> developing as as a person. Well, and sometimes you you know your 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 collection just grows to a point where it's like, yeah, you're kind of keeping up, or you know you have 330 board games in your pile of shame. It's just how it flows. Three of those games uh, did get out to my table, uh, those being that old wallpaper, Cat in the Box, and Wormholes. It has been a little bit light on uh, the played side recently, 
Um, I just have been kind of catching up from Gen Con, some of the things that uh, I've been putting off and then preparing for Dragon Con in a couple of weeks. I've just been so busy with stuff. So um, hoping to get that number bumped up a little bit uh, by the next episode, uh, which we'll be recording fairly shortly. And then really hoping to get that number bumped up uh, with some playtime at Dragon Con. I'm, I'm really looking to focus there uh, and, and get some things to the table because I'll have time. Yay, time. Time is good. So let's get to the review section of the podcast. And the first game that I want to talk about, and I'm incredibly excited to talk about this one, is Nita Vetlir. Uh, this plays from two to five players in 45 minutes, designed by Serge Lajet, and the artist is Jean-Marie Minguet. I hope that, again, I'm pronouncing that correctly. Terrific. I don't necessarily know. So, uh, published by Hachette. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to really see Danny for that long uh, while I was at Gen Con. It was a very, very busy convention. I did mean to ask her, and she was she was hustling. She was doing she so much good work as always. But so like, much it was every time wild. I walked by that 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 poor girl was in a meeting or something like that. Like she is just killing it out there. Absolutely killing we, it. We I have a lot of admiration it. for Danny. Seriously. Uh, so, Nita Vetlir, the Dwarf Kingdom, is threatened by the dragon Fafnir. As a venerable Elvaland, you've been appointed by the king. Search through every tavern in the kingdom, hire the most skillful dwarves, recruit the most prestigious heroes, and build the best battalion you can to defeat your mortal enemy. Each turn in Nita Vetlir, bid a coin on each tavern. In descending order, choose a character and add this character to your army. Each dwarf class has its own scoring way. Blacksmith, hunter, warrior, explorer, and miner. A meticulous recruitment will allow you to attract a powerful hero to your army. You will also be able to increase the value of your gold coins thanks to the smart coin building system and get the best of the other Elvalands. So this was a review copy of the game provided by Hashtag Games. Um, so just to be upfront, I do love the physical presence of this on the table. And we were having a conversation with Danny at Origins when we were picking this up. And she said, well, it is on uh, Board Game Arena. You can just play it on there. And I'm so glad that I said, no, I'd really like a physical copy of this because it is a treat to see out on the table. You have like this kind of all it's almost like stadium seating for your coins uh, where where everything's kind of stacked up on these benches and the coins just kind of sit in these slots. The cards have like little holders for them. Just really, really well done and really well done components. Also, the tactile feel of placing your coins to bid on the different taverns is fantastic. Um, you know, so so really good table presence. Uh, and again, excellent component quality. The game has a very simple turn flow. Uh, basically, you're going to bid uh, on the three taverns. You're going to draft your dwarves. Uh, upgrade your coins when you bid a zero coin, and you get a legend when you get one of each symbol, so you have the five different symbols. Uh, you repeat that for four rounds, give out your majority bonuses at the end of that period, uh, which is halfway through the game, repeat it for another four rounds, and you do final scoring. That's it. I mean, it's, it's really a, a straightforward game flow, after a couple of rounds, people are like, oh, yeah, I've got this. This is this is pretty easy. And I do want to talk about the teach of this in a minute because we we did have some issues online. But one thing that I really love about this game is the fact that it has so many different paths to victory. Um, you know, and, and really, do I want to specialize and get a whole bunch of one type of dwarf or do I want to diversify get a whole bunch of different ones and then attract more of those legends, which uh, kind of help beef up uh, the rest of your types of dwarves. So, you know, you might get a legend that is a really good miner um, that has a lot of value to it. Um, 
and all the different dwarves kind of score differently too, uh, which is which is really really cool. And then the other thing that comes in is how aggressively do you upgrade your coins? And I think that that coin building system that I mentioned up top. Uh, really is a very unique and fun mechanism where you have to decide how much bidding power am I willing to give up to upgrade my coins to have better bids in the following rounds. And then ultimately that does uh, play into your score because you do score for that coin. You have bonus cards that uh, will basically use that coin as your bonus points. So Really, really cool mechanisms. I really love that. Um, and then when do you time that? Uh, one thing that I did want to mention is that the Board Game Arena implementation of this game is very, very good. I do feel like it's a little bit difficult for some people to pick it up that way. And you know, certain people have different learning styles. The way that I like to teach and the way that I like to learn is very hands-on where I can go and I can take components and I can say, you know, you place this here, you take your coins and you put them here, and this is what this does. And having that visual, I think, helps me teach. Whereas online, it's very difficult for me to do that and play around with the components and make sure that, you know, people are kind of seeing the the gameplay flow. And Jamie, I wanted to go to you on this because... We tried to get an online game going and get you in on it, and you had a difficult time learning that way. So, can you kind of talk us through that? I was going to say you, you've been very generous in your in your explanation of, uh, you know, like I do, when you do explain it, it sounds very simple, and I'm sure it is very simple. I'm just not very good at self teaching when it comes to board games, just off of like because like so BGA, they don't have like a booklet of the rules; they have like a general breakdown of them. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a failing on on the breakdown of the of of those rules and how they're written, or if it's just a failure of understanding on my part. Um, even though I typically tend to have a pretty good, um, you know, like I have a pretty good record of of understanding, you know, like how how games function. Now, all that said, I, I did struggle a little bit with the online version of this, just because I, I didn't really know what I was doing going into it. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. played a game like this before, like so I. I still kind of feel like I also would benefit from the table presence of this game, or at least, you know, like being around someone when I'm learning it, um, being Mm -hmm. taught it directly, I suppose. Uh, Because like at a certain point, I didn't really pick it up as much as I just decided I was going to go for one color of dwarf because I was like, (laughs) I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I'll just do this thing and hope for the best. Yep, exactly. Um, Again, that said, I am far more likely to attribute that to my failing than the failing of the uh, of the system. That's really my approach. Like it's it's a very deep and hard to understand strategy um, mm-hmm. that I'm performing. It's uh, it's a strategy in which I pretend like I don't know what I'm doing, and I think like at times it'll seem at, you know like to other players that I don't know what I'm doing, but like really it's just a very very deep strategy that I think is really hard for a lot of people to grasp. It's it's trickery in its finest. That's right. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, this I thought played best at three or more. Uh, I really loved it at three and five. Two was decent. I thought that was it was okay. But I really feel like you need a third person in the betting scheme of things to really uh, add to that tension. Um, and that's where it really shines. I, I think this is definitely a game for three to five, uh, two plus, if you really want to get it out to the table. The expansion Thingvalier, or Thingvetlier, adds another camp that the highest bidder can choose to go to. And instead of getting one of the uh, people in the tavern, you can actually go up to this camp and they have mercenary cards, which are like dual class that you can pick which one you want them to be. And then these uh, magic artifact cards that have new powers. I would say that there's enough in the base game that you don't need this right away. Uh, But I do feel like once you get multiple plays under your belt and you kind of get that strategy going, you're going to want to add this in. 
uh, just because it it adds enough that's very interesting. It does add a very nice decision point to the game. Uh, you know, that's just another choice that you get to make, and it does fit nicely into the base box. So, and then the Edaval expansion is coming out uh, to retail November nineteenth. That's adding all sorts of new cards like gods, giants, Valkyries, and mythical animals, uh, and another round uh, to the game uh, with all those new cards that are in there. Each of those has different powers. Looking at uh, what's coming up, I'm really excited about the Valkyries because they score points based on certain conditions. So it gives you something to drive a little bit towards and kind of rewards you for getting a certain type of engine going. So I always like when games do that. It is going to be interesting to see how well that integrates into the base game. I do feel like at in the base game, this game is super easy to teach, uh, you know, to lighter or medium weight gamers. Uh, there I go again with, with that. But Allie was able to pick it up really easily. She really liked it. And it was it was a very easy teach for her to pick up uh, once she got playing. I don't know how adding all this new stuff is going to integrate into the game and kind of affect that teach. So that's going to be uh, very interesting to see. But Jamie, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to add in before I wrap this up? I, I, I just really look forward to playing this a little bit more. I'm really hoping to play it in person just because I, I do, you know, I always take your recommendations to heart. And, and whenever you get really excited about a game, it tends to be something I'm almost certain I'll enjoy too. Uh, so mm-hmm. I won't take my, my first blush experience as, as a, a negative factor. It's really probably just me being a, a, a goober. So I, I'm just excited to try it in its, in its you know, fullness. Full glory. <laughs> That's right. So as far as my final judgment goes, this has probably become my favorite drafting game in my collection. Uh, I I love the drafting combined with the bidding. I feel like it's done incredibly well. It flows really well. 45 minutes, doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just a nice, quick, once you get it set up, probably play a couple rounds of it. And, uh, you know, just a great time. So this isn't going anywhere. I'm going to bring this with me down to uh, Dragon Con because I do want to play it with my uh, friend Mike. I think that he's going to really enjoy it. And a lot of people that are going to be down there, I also want to share this with. So that was Nita Vetlier. And Jamie, you had an expansion that you wanted to talk about. I did. I did. Um, you know, in I'll, I'll tease it a little bit. In retrospect, I, um, I almost feel like I probably should have played the game at its base level before jumping back into the expansion because it's been a while since I picked it up. Probably been a while since you guys have picked it up too, uh, mm-hmm. but it is one of the games that I went to Gen Con with the uh, with the with the sole purpose of purchasing. Um, not that it's like hard to get or anything, but the game itself is the Lost Ruins of Arnak from CGE. Um, I am a I'm a CGE convert. I'm a new I'm I'm what you would consider a very new CGE fan. That said, I haven't played a single bad game from them yet. So I, I'm eager to um, keep adding their titles to my collection. But Arnick, honestly, I don't know if I told you this. Well, no, you, I hinted to it. You, you probably are already savvy enough to know this, but believe it or not, Arnick is not the most recent CGE game I've added to my collection. Not to get too far off topic, but I did find an unpunched version of Space Alert and a half price Ooh. books, which contains a CD full of MP3s that act as timers for the game of a robot yelling at you in check. <laughs> you got to love so I'm that. I'm really excited to try that. But back to Arnak. <laughs> um this this was a game that I played um with a friend of mine uh before I really committed to you know like liking euros in general. Not that mm-hmm. I ever disliked them, but like before I ever really felt like I had a good grasp of just how intimidating they can be um, based on, you know, the amount of components and all the various factors that, that Euros can, can be intimidating. Um, and I played, I played Arnak once and I was hooked. Um, I played it again on stream with Ray in um, one of her CGE streams. And I was like, 
no, I think I need to own this. Um, so I went there. I went there. I went to Gen Con specifically with the intention of of purchasing Arnak. And, um, you know, at the time I was there, I was like, maybe I should grab the expansion too. Um, so I grabbed Expedition Leaders. And I'm really glad I did because it really added a ton to the game. Um, in fact, you know, my my dad, we did, we did a teach um, and we taught my dad how to play it. And he... He's got a good grasp of board grasp of board games. He's the one who got me into board games in you know at a young age. So he's he's definitely seen a number of games in his time and not he's no slouch. Um, and I think he struggled a little bit. Again, I, I wonder if maybe we should have started with the with the base game. But um, he picked it up and and you know we got we got through the game probably longer than it needed to take. But that's any game at this point. Um, but truly, like, it added so much to the experience that, like, I don't know that I want to play it without it again. Um, just a brief overview. It, it basically gives you a number of characters to choose from to, to play the game. Um, there are different, I guess, I won't call them powers because they're not really powers, but they're different features, different play styles that these particular characters uh, enjoy. And if you if you follow those playstyles, you tend to perform a lot better in the game. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, they get certain benefits, they get certain uh, traits that the other characters don't. The character I played, for example, is the is the falconer, um, and she has an eagle that will that will change positions every turn on her player board. Um, and after a certain amount of time, the eagle will start to hit places on the board that will result in um in rewards if you recall the eagle so it's kind of a i wouldn't say it's push your luck in that way but it is kind of an interesting like you can really stand to benefit to um to to make to wait the eagle wait for the eagle to get to a, a beneficial spot before recalling it but if you do recall it sooner than that you know there's there's definitely benefits to it um i'd say it's one of the easier classes to have chosen the, the most difficult of which being the Mystic, who dabbles a lot with the fear cards in the game, um, which make it kind of a high-risk, high-reward play. But I do really like the idea of this expansion and how it just kind of shakes things up just enough on the outsides of the game, but it doesn't really mess with what works for Arnak. You know, all told, again, I think it is a harder teach. I think it's a little bit harder to fully understand, but I do think the, it is worth that extra effort. Um, because it just adds another layer to the game. I've always felt like Arnak feels like it might be a round or two too short at times, and this kind of helps lend a, an amount of complexity that makes up for that that feeling of of like of loss essentially. Hmm. Um, it it really was a lot of fun, and I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's that's one of the the things that I have repeatedly said. Like that is such a mood in that game it's like i wanted one more round mm -hmm. and i'm glad to hear that because i haven't had the chance to get this out to the table yet and i bought it at pax last year i believe and still haven't been able to get it out to the table so i i played a lot of arnak when i was doing the beta testing for uh, the the solo campaign and haven't come back to it sense and that's kind of a sad thing like i said i've really loved the times that i've gotten to play this game and it was it was one that i just got tired of not having around when i wanted to play it um mm -hmm. so i just i made sure to grab it and i'm really glad that i did that was probably a better way of handling acquisition than what i usually do which is just <laughs> like i i want to play this at some point so i'm gonna buy it and there's going to be more talk about that maybe on the next episode or one of our future episodes. Well, I really I really start to get in trouble when I hear you getting excited about something because then I tend to buy it sight unseen mm -hmm. um, because I'm like, well, if Arwen likes it, it's going to be good. And then I actually have no true honest opinion or uh, idea if I'm going to enjoy that game or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope I haven't steered you wrong too much, but nope. yeah, I, I definitely get that. So... I wanted to talk about 
Anno 1800. Uh, this was one from 2020. Uh, two to four players, plays in 120 minutes, designed by Martin Wallace. And the artist is Fiore GmbH, uh, published by Cosmos. In Anno 1800, a board game based on the popular PC game from Ubisoft, you continuously build up your own industry to develop your home island. Ship fleets allow for a lively trade and the development of new islands in the old and new world. You have to fulfill the wishes of your own population. While the inhabitants are initially satisfied with bread and clothing, they soon demand valuable luxury goods. You must plan production chains sensibly and keep an eye on the specialization of your population. The goal? A wise distribution of farmers, workers, craftsmen, engineers, and investors. But the competition never sleeps and can snatch the new achievements from under your nose at any time. Who can create the most prosperous island? So this was another review copy of the game that was furnished by Cosmos. Uh, Like it was mentioned up top, basically in this game, you have a group of workers that are specialized to a certain type of production or a certain skill. Uh, You have these sets of orders that you have to fill uh, that give you these one-time bonuses and ultimately points at the end of the game if you fill them. In order to fill those orders, you have to produce a certain set of goods so they have those needs and wants, uh, like bread and food and you know, actually not starving. You know, that's cool. Uh, Everybody's so needy. I know. These people are very, very needy, especially towards the end of the game. They start demanding, like, the weirdest things. Um, (laughs) Sausage is a thing in this, which made me, you know, happy. I got to produce a bunch of sausage and give it to people. So that was... That sounded wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, no place good. Um, So most turns are going to consist of either learning to produce a new good, uh, which basically requires producing a certain set of goods and sometimes like a worker of that type, uh, or fulfilling an order. That's what you're going to be doing the majority of the time. When you use all of your workers, you can spend a whole turn to bring them back near supply. Uh, And sometimes the bonus for completing an order is another worker of a certain type, which then nets you another order card to try to fulfill. So as you're getting these better workers, you also have another order that you need to fulfill because you have to, you know, kind of make them happy. Um, and then the game ends when one player fills all of their orders out. Uh, so there's there's other concepts to this, but that's about it. So basically, you're going in, you're learning new types of production, you're fulfilling orders with that production, and you're trying to get rid of all of your order cards. But at its core, this game is all about one thing, and that's efficiency, it's something that you see in a lot of Martin Wallace games, uh, you know, especially Brass, like one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, you're trying to be as efficient as possible, getting people to use your stuff uh, so that you get points. Uh, that is something that comes up in here. If you don't have a certain type of resource uh, that you're producing, you can also trade with other players to a certain extent uh, so that you don't have to produce that good. Uh, But you do get points if you produce something and somebody else uses it. Um, You know, it's it's just like a nice bonus to you. So that felt very similar to a game like Brass. Um, And it's really about how can I most quickly get through these orders, uh, which isn't necessarily immediately obvious. Um, You know, you may want to get more orders so that you can fill those orders quicker. Uh, if that makes sense. The gameplay loop is very, very simple, and the complexity is really figuring out how to manage your turns in an efficient manner. Uh, You know, when to trade with others again instead of building that part of the production chain, and really how to manage the limited space that you have for your factories. So you do get to expand uh, your area a little bit further that allows for more room for different factories. 
but that that space definitely does get limited and you wind up having to kind of destroy some of the factories that you built earlier to get to these new, more robust technologies. Uh, the theme's incredibly dry. I'm just going to say that. Like, you're producing stuff and making stuff happen and making, you know, fulfilling You're making orders. sausage. Yeah, you're making sausage and you're giving it to people. Um, that's going to be a quote that's going to come back to bite me in the butt, I swear. <laughs> I've done that twice now. Um, it's it's something that I expect for heading into a Martin Wallace game. I expect dry. I expect, you know, something that is that old kind of old-timey 1800s theme, um, which made this a, a perfect match made in heaven for him and this kind of theme. To me as an engineer, this gameplay is incredibly satisfying. Um, if you really like efficiency, you really like making production chains, uh, all that boring stuff um, that a lot of people would consider boring, this is going to be right up your alley. This is 100% an engineering puzzle and it is something that I was I was diving into. I'm making all these chains and I'm like, oh, how can I get this? Should I trade for this? You know, because I've got three of these cards that need this. I've only got one of these cards that need this. So why don't I trade for this? And then, um, you know, I can really focus my production on things that people need and then trade for the stuff that I only might need one or two of. Uh, so I are you saying, I are you saying you're boring, Arwen? Yeah, a lot of times oh. I am. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, I suppose. I don't I don't know. Ask the people out there. Am I boring? I, I probably don't, don't so. want to know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't think you're boring. Well, thank you. That's I why. That's why that. I questioned your your uh, self assessment there. To me, sometimes I like games that have you know a little bit of what others might consider a, a little bit more boring theme or a little bit more bland. It's not the fantasy. It's not the you know, uh, kind of building up a forest or managing forest critters. Um, I think there's beauty in that methodical, you know, nature of it. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's like, there's something to be said for simplicity and rote, you know, like predictability. I Whatever agree. To predictability. Well, and, and seeing that engine laid out in front of you and literally seeing that engine of, I have to go from here to here to here to make this. like Honestly, all joking aside, it definitely sounds like something I would enjoy. I do really like that um, that style of game, like the, yeah. the, the methodical, the engine building. I need to get you in on this because it, it's so good. I, I want to get it out and I want to get it to the table when you have a chance to play it because it, it's just so it, it's it's simple in its turn structure but mm -hmm. what you can do with it is just that is that is really the meat of the game I love we'll that just, we'll just have to make sure I'm freshly medicated so that like I don't I don't just start to zone out and make dumb jokes about the game yeah, exactly. Because that's that's like, you know like I gotta be I gotta be in the zone, like sausage production. That's right. You have to be in the in the zone for sausage production. So, that said, you know I really like the game. I I really I, I really really enjoyed this. There is something that some people are not gonna like about this, and I think that this game definitely has ties to you know, the the old colonialism, uh, which is definitely a topic of late. Uh, it's it's definitely a topic that has affected some people. And and there's a lot of, you know, people that are being a little bit more, you know, vocal about it and, you know, making people aware of it. I owned, like I said, a, a number of episodes back, I owned Puerto Rico and I decided to get rid of it because of how it handled the topic. Um, you know, and hearing people talk about that really kind of helped me make that decision that, yeah, I don't need this in my collection. There's a little bit of a debate online on BGG about this topic. And I think this, from the way that I see it, it handles it in, in a positive manner. 
you're basically trying to fulfill the needs of your populace, you know, which is towards a more positive, idealistic, reimagining side of things where you're trying to basically make trades. Um, there is a place referred to as the New World uh, where you can trade goods that aren't accessible elsewhere. The way that you get to them is basically you know, going in and building these ships, these exploration ships that you need cannons for. You know, but I, I would love to hear what others have to say on this topic. I, I think aside from that, you know, the way that you handle those those trades is you're basically fulfilling needs of the people that are, you know, in those areas as well. It's just how you get there that's like a little bit, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. So it's it's definitely a gray area and definitely something that I'd like to hear from other people on. So... Yeah, it sounds like a, a very, like, interesting conversation surrounding whether, like, not literally whether the means justify the ends, but, like, if portraying it that way is appropriate, you know, like, exactly. the idea of, like, historical accuracy versus, like, I mean, being being realistic and sensitive to, to the people, it, it still affects. Exactly. And I, I feel like it was more towards the positive side. It just felt like there were a couple of those aspects that, that could be questionable on that. Mm -hmm. So, it, I mean, it definitely, like, it legitimizes the, um, you know, the existence and the, and the popularity of, of putting um, a lot of these, like, public publications through, like, sensitivity reading and stuff like that before it's released. Because it just helps, mm -hmm. it helps head off a lot of that controversy, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And then there's the whole video game. This was a video game before it was a board game aspect, yeah, too. For sure. Um, you know, so that plays into this as well. Mm -hmm. um, so just kind of know that going into this experience, that could be a factor. So if that's something that, you know, you are very aware of, um, you know, and, and that is going to be a negative experience for you, that is something that you do want to keep in mind. Or if not, um, learn, you know, it's a great opportunity to educate yourself on the topic. So Exactly. Exactly. That's Google a really good is point, free. Jamie. <laughs> Google is free. Um, this did have a really solid solo experience. I did want to wrap up on this. Um, it's available on BGG. Uh, it was originally published in German, I believe. And it does... The way that it handles everything is it unlocks a little bit of the production chain at a time because you have this giant wealth of options to begin with, um, you know, in a standard game that you're going to start off with. And you have all these different things that you could potentially, you know, learn to produce. And this just unlocks a little bit of it at a time. And you're trying to basically play beat the clock to fulfill orders for the most part. And... and I thought that that was a fantastic way to learn the multiplayer game. It was it was wonderful to be able to start off with that, but I really feel like the meat of this game is going to be playing with other people and really getting that trade engine going with other people. Oh, um, like the sausage that, meat of the game? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <Sorry>. much sausage. <laughs> I'm going to have to post that uh, SoSig meme uh, so again. Sick. On, yeah, on my so. on my Twitter, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I love the very straightforward but deep supply chain mechanisms of this one. And for my final judgment, this one isn't going anywhere. This is one that I'm excited to get out with people as well. Probably going to be a little bit more difficult to get out uh, to the table than Nita Vetlier. Uh, it's going to be a different audience. I'm able to get those fantasy games out a little bit more readily than something that looks the way that this does underneath that surface of you know just the the old 1800-esque art is a really really fantastic uh supply chain game that i'm really really excited to get back out to the table again so that is anno 1800 well stay tuned because coming up next we have an interview with rob huber so today I have Rob Huber with me, one of the creators of Bigfoot Roll and Smash, published by XYZ Game Labs. We are live at Gen Con from Bigfoot itself. It is sitting right behind me. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's incredible 
to experience this live in person, this icon of my childhood. Like this, this was so iconic back in the day and I, I'm loving it still. Like this just gives me tingles down my <laughs> spine. So what? Rob, how awesome is this to you? You know what? Uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I had the little uh, Bigfoot toy with the shifter on the mm -hmm. roof. Uh, it's been an absolute delight uh, working on this game. They actually approached us, the owners of Bigfoot, and said, uh, do you think you could make us a game? We're all dyed-in-the-wool fans already. Just yes, yes, yeah. a thousand times yes. Uh, and it's just been a dream. I mean, truly, we're... This is a vehicle that the Smithsonian has asked to have added to its collection. This is the first ever monster truck uh, getting to be in its shadow and to, to make a game that honors the legacy not only of the, the uh, truck itself, but the company and the people behind it. It's, it's been a, a sort of a dream come true. Yeah. And, and you know how they say, uh, don't meet your heroes? Like, um, that's not true here. If you really love... Uh, Bigfoot or you love the people who made it oh my gosh down to like the last mechanic at the shop the guy who paints the trucks they're all delightful yeah. wonderful people yeah and I've been learning facts about Bigfoot all morning long <laughs> while I've been standing here I'm big in the tire industry um, well I wouldn't say I'm big in the tire industry I I'm a part of the tire industry and the fact that Every time that they move Bigfoot around, they go and they touch up the white on the tires was just a wild concept to me. I absolutely love that fact. So it, it's, it's just so wild to be here. It's really, really so cool. So I, I think you probably answered one of my questions I was gonna ask already, whether the mechanics of the game or the theme of the game came first. I'm pretty sure we know that answer. Well, you know, um, it's one of those funny things. So I've been designing games for, for years now. And when, uh, when they came to me and said, do you think you could design a Bigfoot monster truck game? Literally, the, all the edges of this came to me almost instantly. Like, uh, I, the, the bigness of a monster truck can't be understated. Like, until you stand next to it, you don't understand how big these things are. And I really felt like you, you need to honor that. And that's where the monster truck tire dice came in. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that had to be there. But I also wanted to honor the, uh, the sort of chutzpah and, and engineering curiosity that is... Like, what if I took my family truck and, like, smashed these huge tires on there? And could I find a way to do that without making the engine explode when you tried to dr drive it? Uh, like, that's an incredible thing to figure out how to do. And no one had done that before. So, like, that is engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to keep engineering in the game. So the way you put the tiles in, the way they interact with each other, the obstacles in the arena... There's programming in that, but then the way you use the results on the monster tire dice to build a program, it's a programming game. None of the kids who are playing this are tuned in to the fact that they're, they're you know, they're doing a STEM yeah. activity here. Yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to honor the sort of curiosity and engineering experimentation that's, uh, that's at the heart of the Bigfoot monster truck idea in this game and I you, you can tell me if, if we worked or not if we did that or not we we see that out in front of us right now we we have the game set up there's all the components uh, the the wild detail that went into it everything that I've learned about this game I am so excited for like I I pre-ordered it day one <laughs> I saw a very early uh, prototype like one section of the board and a couple of components, and that was it. That's all that I had to go off of. And uh, it, it just really piqued my curiosity. And I'm, I've been following the development of this for so long. And to see all the right steps being made from uh. the programming aspect and teaching that to kids. 
you know, to the price point and making this affordable for, for families to pick up and have at their game day. And then adding in like the rookie mode where you're making things a little bit easier for younger ones as well and, and making that more of a family experience. I, I think all the right decisions have been made oh. here. So. Well, you, you, uh, you touch me uh, by saying that. You know, when you talk about the rookie mode, uh, it's something I'm really proud of, but it's also something, you know, we all bring who we are and who we've been to where we are going forward. Uh, during the day, I'm a mild-mannered uh, preschool teacher. And oh. how can you make a game about monster trucks <laughs> and leave the little kids out of it? Right, like, no, exactly. This, this is a crunchy programming game, and it stays on a shelf, and you can't touch it. Um, no, if, if you're a little kid, um, we just, you're doing all the same things, but you're doing them without a lot of the, uh, the sort of layers of complexity, but it's still uh, as engaging, and it still requires planning and, and forethought, because uh, that a child is young doesn't mean that a child is not capable. <laughs> exactly, know. exactly. But I, I really love that juxtaposition of being able to bring everybody to the table at once and and having that sliding scale, I, I think is just so brilliant. Oh, gosh, thanks. So what else would people know you from? I mean, we've, we've talked about Bigfoot here a little bit. What else have, have you designed? Well, you know, uh, we here at XYZ had a, uh, uh, a game that we kickstarted a little while back called Titania Ascending, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, don't sleep on that game. Uh, I designed that with my partner who helped design this with us. Uh, you know, we're a team all the way down the line, Brendan Riley. Um, Titania Ascending is a cooperative flip and write game uh, where you're trying to help uh, Queen Titania of the Fae uh, marshal her forces to take over the Earth because uh, we humans have not been sufficiently kind to the Earth. True. She is going to save us from ourselves. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we've, uh, we've had some folks who've really liked that. Uh, the critical review has been uh, quite positive, and I'm excited. It's, uh, it's going to be landing here in the U.S., the physical copies, before you know it. I'm definitely excited to see that one. Now, getting back to Bigfoot, we're looking at it. and We should always get back to Bigfoot. Always. <laughs> and we're talking about board games or tires or just life in general. <laughs> get back to Bigfoot. How do you not talk about this gigantic truck behind us? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is still so wild to me. I, one of the things that I noticed was the pride flag. Yeah. And to see... Again, this icon of my childhood, which dating myself was back in the 80s. I'm not going to say <laughs> when. I'm going to say that the 80s were involved. Um, so there was, there was some point of that. There may have been leg warmers. There, Legs might have been warmed yeah. in the making of this childhood. There may have been neon. There may have been malls. <laughs> I did spend a lot of time in arcades. Um, but to see that also with the pride flag in the back... You know, it is a really nice welcoming symbol to, to see as someone who's trans, as someone who's part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. to, to see that is very welcoming and, and amazing to me to see because, you know, we know the 80s <laughs> and then, then yeah. to see this is, is just wonderful. Well, you know, uh, not only making a place for everyone at the table, but letting everyone know that there's a place for them at the table, except someone who's going to try to tell someone else that they shouldn't have one, is a core belief of XYZ Game Labs. And you know what? Uh, it is zero surprise to me after working with the people at, uh, at Bigfoot that it is how they live their lives too. Um, if you were in Pride at Nashville, uh, Tennessee this this year, you would have seen Bigfoot 21 on display there, wrapped in all sorts of intersectional pride flags, uh, and you know, uh, it just shows that like you might not think like a monster truck that might not be a place that everyone's welcome, but it, first of all, it shows 
you know, take yeah. a look first. And second of all, good for them for like being, yeah, no, this being, is us. Being very vocal We're and there. forward about it. And, you know, uh, we want everyone to know that our values are, uh, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we're on your side right and, down the line. And I think we saw that with games like Our Travels. We were just talking about that a couple mm -hmm. of minutes ago where you saw a lot of diversity and you saw a lot of, you know, just naturally diverse characters. It wasn't in there because it was just something that you forced in there. It was something that was just natural. And that spoke to me. And I think it speaks to a lot of people. You know what's funny is in some of the backstory of some of the characters in Arch Ravels, like we know more than we tell. Uh, but some people have guessed things about uh, where various characters in, in the game fall on the LGBTQ plus scale. And they're almost always dead right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's also the beauty of it is the fact that people can see themselves in the game as well. So that, that to me, the, the fact that you don't necessarily specify, but somebody can go and say, I identify with this character. I think that's a really, really cool thing. You know what? Um, all we want to do in that space is more. Because uh, if you want to play a game where uh, everyone should be able to play a game where there's someone who looks like them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you see a kid who gets to play someone who looks like them, and they're like, oh, there's, like, there's an Indian person in this game, uh, and their eyes light up and they're so excited, how could you not then think, I must put <laughs> diverse characters in all my games? Uh, because, you know, it just draws them in and makes them part of the game. And our games are, you know, our tagline is invent new gamers. You know, it, bring them in. Make yeah. them part of the game. Make them want to play the game. Absolutely. So one last question as we're wrapping up. I know that your schedule has been so incredibly <laughs> hectic at Gen Con, just like ours has. Uh, what's on your table? What are, what are you playing? What are you liking? You know, what, what really speaks to you lately as far as games go? So, uh, you know, the funny thing is uh, I've been playing a lot of older games lately. Um, I, there's a game I love, which I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on. It's called Ink and Gold or Diamante. I love, oh, I uh, love Ink and Gold. I have never sat down at a table, brought that game out, and had people not have fun. Um, another one, The Chameleon. See, I haven't played that yet. I I've was, seen that. At, I, I think Target was talking that. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who runs a really crunchy, like, you know, it's the war, tabletop gamers, the, the war games with the, you know, you need a ruler on your arm to play them. Uh, Rob you know, was talking to Jamie, by the way. So, <laughs> uh, And they're, I, I brought this game out, the Chameleon, and they're like, ah, oh, well, I guess I'll try it. But I have to go soon. Uh, we played that game for four and a half hours with about 11 people. We had to cycle people in and out of rounds because there's a, people loved that game. Wow. Uh, beyond that, uh, I am always playing our prototypes. Uh, we've got a word game coming soon that uh, uh, I would love to get you, get you ladies to give it a try. It's a, yeah. it's a hoot. It's a, Absolutely. It's a quick, fun uh, word game. We, we will be there any time that you will have us, for sure. Well, then that's all the time, huh? Perfect. I guess you're going to have to move to Chicagoland. Uh, I mean, we're close enough. I, I think we could make a couple trips. You know, where could we meet? In the middle? Indy? <laughs> well, Rob, it has been an absolute wonderful time Aww. talking to you. You've been an absolute sweetheart. And how can people get a hold of you? How can people get a hold of XYZ if they want to see more about this amazing looking game? Uh, well, first of all, before I answer your question, let me just say it's been a delight getting to spend some time with you on and Thank off you. the microphone. Uh, and then as far as getting in touch with me or getting in touch with or finding out more about XYZ, XYZGameLabs.com or XYZGameLabs on any of the social medias. You, you uh, find us there. Uh, we love talking to folks. Uh, we're always looking. We've got uh, on Facebook, we've got a playtester community. If you want to 
uh, check out some of our stuff before it hits the uh, the public. Sneak in there. Very nice. Very nice. Well, again, thank you so much, Rob. And we will hopefully talk to you very soon about your next project. Uh, let's. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. We'll make. We'll pencil in a date. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks I love it. Thanks a million. Well, Jamie, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Make sure to check out our website if you want more information at CardboardTime.com. Our Instagram and Twitter is at Cardboard underscore Time. Uh, we have our Board Game Geek podcast page, our Board Game Arena group. Just search for Cardboard Time, start up a game with us, or just chat. And I am kind of in the mood to start up uh, my Twitch again. I did a couple of test streams and I'm really looking forward to using that to play more games and connect with all of you as well. That is at twitch.tv slash cardboard time. Jamie, what are your socials if people want to get a hold of you? Well, first, I want to welcome you to the Twitch cult family. Sorry, family. Oh, family. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I actually recently also pretty much went full time on Twitch. Uh, I'm going to be really upping my my presence on there. I currently only stream one night a week, but my goal is to be uh, doing that a little bit more, more like board games too, which is going to be cool. And yeah, that can be found over at twitch.tv slash Jamie Daggers. You can find my content basically all over the web uh, using that handle. Uh, with the exception of Twitter, I'm tw Jamie underscore Daggers. Someday I will hunt down and take <laughs> the name Jamie Daggers from the guy who hasn't tweeted since 2013. Um, yeah, I know, right? Uh, that's like, he's like my nemesis. Um, probably a wonderful person. But anyway, you can find me there. Really appreciate all the support and everything. So come, come check out a stream sometime. I paint minis mostly, but I have been uh, known to dabble in other things. So with any questions, suggestions, ideas for discussion topics, or to yell at me for taking the beer of the day, uh, off the... Uh, list of things that we do on every episode, you can email cardboardtime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy game.